0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some of you might have read Mac Barnett's delightful children's book called Extra Yarn. I discovered it this week and it's become one of my favorites. In it he tells the story of Annabelle, a young girl who lives in a very cold town that's always gray and dreary. She does everything she can to cheer the place up, but to no avail. One day Annabelle happens to be out walking her dog Mars. When she happens upon a mysterious box filled with rainbow colored yarn. Hang on. Are we back? Bear with us. There we go. That might help. Thank you. One day, Annabelle is out walking her dog Mars when she happens upon a mysterious box filled with rainbow-colored yarn. She's intrigued by the box and takes it home with her. Soon she knits a sweater for herself, and as she finishes it, she notices that there's been no decrease in the amount of yarn in her box. With so much yarn left, Annabelle decides to knit a sweater for her dog Mars as well. Yet when she finishes that sweater, there's still no decrease in the amount of yarn in that mysterious box. So Annabelle decides to knit sweaters and hats and caps and gloves for everyone that she knows. Day after day, she knits more, yet the amount of yarn in that magical and mysterious box never depletes. Soon others hear of that magical box and they come from all over the world to meet the young girl and have her knit sweaters for them. Annabelle is only too happy to share her good fortune and talents with the visitors. Eventually, though, a greedy and arrogant Archduke comes to visit. He offers to buy the box of yarn from Annabelle, but she refuses to sell it. The Archduke doubles then triples, then quadruples the amount of money he offers for it. one million, two million, eight million, ten million. Still, Annabelle refuses to sell. But the Archduke is determined to have that box for himself and so he hires a group of men to steal that box from Annabelle and they break into her home in the middle of the night and they abscond with that magical box and they give it to the Archduke and that greedy and arrogant aristocrat quickly sails home before he can be caught. When the Archduke sits down on his throne and opens the magical box, expecting to find that endless supply of beautiful rainbow yarn, he is enraged to discover that the box is empty. He throws the box out of a window into the sea, cursing Annabelle and her family and her whole town May you never be happy again, he yells. The box quickly floats back across the sea where Annabelle and Morris find it one day while they're out for a walk. When she fishes it out of the water and opens it, Annabelle discovers that it is once more filled with an endless supply of that beautiful rainbow yarn. And she quickly takes it home and begins knitting sweaters and hats and caps and gloves for everyone she knows, and she and all who know her are happy." It's a marvelous and mysterious little fable, one that teaches the power of sharing and its ability to bring happiness when greed only brings frustration and heartache, and it also reminds us of the wisdom of children there's a clear parallel of course to today's gospel reading this story of jesus feeding the multitudes is the only one of the miracle stories that appears in all four of the gospels john's is the most unique of the versions though because of the character of this mysterious young boy who supplies the food now luke is the gospel most often interested in children and women and other marginalized groups but It's John's version of this story that gives us this young man who offers what food he has and in doing so provides enough for all who are present. Now there are any number of ways you can look at this story. The traditional understanding of course is that this young boy offered the five loaves and two fish and Jesus took them and blessed them and broke them and gave them to the crowds. If you're hearing Echoes of Holy Communion in that John means for you to do so. There isn't a separate communion narrative in John's gospel, so this story serves as one. Miraculously, we've traditionally believed that food is multiplied and there's enough for thousands of people with lots left over. But we wonder, where did that food come from? John's gospel is unique in many ways, not the least of which is that it's structured in such a way that it makes claims about Jesus' identity as the truly human one, the great I am in human flesh. And each of the stories that are told, not in any particular order, is meant to provide support for John's claims about Jesus' identity. This story, of course, is told to illustrate Jesus' identity as God in human flesh. Jesus provides for the multitudes as God provides for all of creation. As God gave manna in the wilderness, so Jesus gives bread and fish by the sea. As God is, so is Jesus. But there's more to this story. First of all, there's the matter of this young boy who provides the food in the first place. It doesn't come from Jesus, but rather from one of the most vulnerable folks in the crowd. We have no knowledge of this young boy's parents or family, only of him and what little he has, which is enough for two people for about a day or so. This might well have been all the food this young man had, and yet he's willing to offer it to Jesus That's a supreme act of trust, one that demonstrates faith in Jesus as teacher and healer and provider. And secondly, there's the question about what actually happened when Jesus took the food offered by that young man. Did Jesus make food miraculously appear out of thin air? Well, that's an easy way to spiritualize the story, but... Does it really illustrate the kind of identity that John claims for Jesus? John wants us to believe that Jesus is the truly human one, the great I am, God in human flesh, the one who can transform and renew all of creation. Is it enough to believe that Jesus made food simply appear out of nowhere? What if the story is deeper and more profound than that? Maybe this story isn't so much about Jesus' magical powers as about Jesus' ability to embody truth and to inspire change. This young boy, whom we've acknowledged probably has very little, comes to Jesus and the disciples and offers what little he has Trusting that Jesus has the ability to do something great with it Jesus takes the food and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to the crowds and They are able to see this young boy's offering Because Jesus holds it up to them as a model for how we can live with each other not rooted in scarcity and fear but grounded in generosity and courage what if that vision changed the hearts and minds of those who gathered inspiring them to open the provisions that they had with them and share what they had with one another it's so easy for us to overlook this more logical interpretation of stories like this because it's often more comfortable for us to believe that jesus did something so extraordinary that it could never be done again it's a way of distancing ourselves from jesus of staying at a safe space so we don't have to bear the expectations to do what jesus did only jesus asks us to do just that what he did Jesus tells the disciples throughout the Gospels that while he's done things that people find impressive, they will actually do even greater things. It's a daunting promise. How are we to ever do something as miraculous as feeding thousands of people? Yet the answer is right here in the story. A young boy was the start of it all. He walked up to Jesus and the disciples and offered what he had. It's because of him that those thousands of people were fed. His generosity amplified by Jesus changed the hearts and minds of those gathered. One act of kindness by one of the least respected people in that crowd blessed all of them. I think back to the church I served while I was in seminary. When I first arrived, I was impressed by how warm and welcoming they were to me and to all visitors. After I commented on this to one of the elders, she told me the story of a young woman in the congregation who helped to change things. Before Ramona came here, we were a bit cold and standoffish, she said. But it wasn't that we were unkind, it's just we were more reserved. She went on to tell me that Ramona had left a difficult family situation on the west coast and came to live with family members in the congregation. She was only 15 when she arrived and at first struggled to feel at home in the church. She kept complaining to her aunt and uncle that church was boring and the people were stodgy, the elder told me. So her aunt and uncle challenged her to do something about it. The next week, Ramona made it her goal to offer a hug to each and every person who came to worship. Some politely refused, but Ramona didn't give up on her goal of hugging everyone. Week after week she kept offering hugs and gradually she wore them down to acceptance. After a few months, people started hugging each other, the elder said. It just sort of became second nature to them. Now the passing of the peace takes forever, but we wouldn't have it any other way, she said. One young person decided to do something and changed an entire community. Perhaps all of this sounds a bit naive. But every change begins with a single act, with an individual decision to make a difference and the willingness to actually do it. History is filled with the stories of those who have stepped out in faith, often at great risk and enduring tremendous ridicule. But our lives are better because of them. I don't need to tell you that there are so many challenges in our world today. We see it every evening on the news. This raging pandemic, increasing violence in our streets and around the world, threats to democracy across the globe, widening gaps between those who were wealthy and those who were poor, and the ever-growing threat of climate change. Where do we even begin? And yet, there is a voice that is calling us even now. I think about Greta Thunberg, the young woman from Sweden who walked out of school in protest against what she saw as an action by adults in dealing with the coming environmental catastrophe. Thunberg started screaming to any and all who would listen. She held a vigil outside the offices of politicians demanding that they listen and act. Thunberg took to social media and began to mobilize others. She spoke to every journalist willing to interview her, and it wasn't long before the world started listening. There's hardly a person on this planet today who hasn't heard of Thunberg. She's built an audience and now she has the ability to command the weight of public pressure on politicians, forcing them to listen. Of course the challenge is to get them to do more than listen, to actually do something to mitigate the impact of climate change. That's why Thunberg is still screaming and why she's asking us to join her voice. Years before Thunberg, before Francis or Claire of Assisi, before even Jesus, before the prophet Isaiah looked toward A future when those who were considered weakest and least important would show the way to a world renewed Isaiah wrote and a little child shall lead them maybe the way forward for all of us and for this weary world begins with looking to and listening to those among us who are youngest amen